0: Alhamdulillah Na'ahmaduhu wa nasta'inuhu wa nasta'firuhu min shururi anfusina wa min sayyati a'malina Min yahdihi Fala muzillala wa min yudlil fala hadiyala Wa ashadu an la ilaha idallahu la sharikala la Wa ashadu anna muhammadan abduhu wa صلى الله عليه وسلم يا ايها الذين امنوا تقوا الله حق تقاته ولا تموتن الا وانتم مسلمون يا ايها الناس تقوا ربكم الذي خلقكم من نفس وخلق منها زوجها وَبَثَ مَنْهُمَا رجالا كثيرا ونساء واتقوا الله الذي تساءلون به والارحام ان الله كان عليكم رقيبا يا ايها الذين امنوا اتقوا الله وقولوا قولا سديدا يُسْلِحْ لكم اعمالكم ويغفر لكم ذنوبكم ومن الله ورسوله فقد فاز اما بعد فان الحديث كتاب الله وَخَيْرَ الْهَدْي هَجُ مُحَمَّدٍ صلى الله عليه وسلم وَشَرَّ الْأُمُورِ مُحْدَثَاتُهَا وَكُلَّ مُحْدَثَةٍ بِدْعَةٍ مرحبا بِكُمْ جميعا أَهْلًا وَسَهْلًا We continue with the explanation of the 40 hadith of Imam an Nawawi رحمه الله تعالى We are still in the introduction We left off in the last class with the statement of Al-Imam an Nawawi رحمه الله وقد اتفق العلماء على جواز العملي بالحديث الضعيف في فضائل الأعمال ومع هذا فليس اعتمادي على هذا الحديث بل على قوله صلى الله عليه وسلم في الأحديث الصحيحة ليبلغ الشاهد منكم الغائب وقوله صلى الله عليه وسلم نظر الله امرأة سمع مقالتي فوعاها فأداها كما سمعها Imam An Nawawi, rahimahullah, he mentioned that the scholars are in agreement regarding the permissibility of using weak hadith in the in the area of the virtues of actions. We covered that this is a mistake from Imam An Nawawi, rahimahullah, as the scholars are not in total agreement to the usage of weak hadith regarding the virtues of actions. Rather the scholars, they disagree. The majority of the scholars, they hold that it is allowed to use a weak hadith regarding the virtues of actions. And then you have a group from amongst the ulama who say it is not allowed to use a weak hadith at all whatsoever. And those scholars who do say that it is allowed to use a weak hadith, they say that they are conditions. Number one, they say that the weakness should not be severe. That you can use a weak hadith for the virtues of actions, but the weakness should not be severe. Number two, that the hadith itself or or the meaning of it enters... Under a general principle or practice of Islam Meaning that its meaning is established elsewhere In other authentic narrations Or it is established in the Quran However, it is not to be considered The statement of the Prophet sallallahu And it cannot be something That there is no other proof for it Except for that hadith as weak and the third matter, that when the person is implementing the weak hadith, that the person should not believe that this is something established on the Prophet ﷺ. However, barakallah fikum, that which is not authentically established on the Prophet ﷺ, best to leave it off. For that which is authentically reported upon the Prophet ﷺ, there are many narrations. And these narrations suffice us. We are not in need of that which is not authentically reported on the Prophet ﷺ. Imam al he mentioned that he did not depend on the hadith which mentions the virtues of gathering together 40 hadith. He did not depend upon it. Mentioned the narration, but he does not, he's not depending upon that for his act of compiling 40 hadith. Rather, he said that he depended upon the statement of the Prophet in the authentic narrations let the one who is present convey to those who are absent. Let the one who is present convey to those who are absent. So, those who hear the knowledge, it is encouraged for them. To convey to those who did not hear the knowledge Also the statement of Allah May Allah illuminate the person Or the face of the person who hears my statement And he memorizes it And he fulfills it or conveys it Just as he has heard it Just as he has heard it As for the hadith regarding Whoever memorizes or preserves for my ummah 40 hadith regarding a matter of their religion, then Allah will resurrect them on the Day of Judgment amongst the fuqaha, the jurists, and the ulama. The scholars have mentioned that this narration is extremely weak, even to the point that some have mentioned that the narration is fabricated. So without a doubt, that cannot be used. The hadith cannot be used. And one must be very mindful when it comes to saying that the Prophet Sallallahu said something. As the Prophet mentioned, that whoever lies upon me intentionally, then let him take his seat in the hellfire. So lying on the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi is a major sin. And the the person is threatened with being punished in the fire. So, this one narration mentions, Whoever lies upon me intentionally, then let him take his seat in the fire. But then there's another word in that does not have the word intentionally mentioned. Man kathaba alayya, for yatabawa maq'aduhum min Whoever lies upon me. So, for this reason, you find that the Sahaba, or some of the Sahaba, they were very careful when they would narrate on the Prophet, because they did not want to fall into lying on the Prophet وسلم, even if it was unintentional. Because of that general wording, whoever lies upon me, then let him find his seat in the fire or let him take his seat in the fire. So when they would narrate narrations, they would say at the end, O Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam," or something like the Messenger of Allah Wasallam, said as a precautionary measure. You have some who they have made up narrations. And when these narrations are mentioned, the prohibition of lying on the Prophet ﷺ, they say, لَن نَكْذِبْ عَلَى النَّبِي وَلَكِنَّنَا نَكْذِبْ لَهُ That we are not lying on the Prophet ﷺ, but we are lying for the Prophet ﷺ. Alhamdulillah, the deen is not in need of anyone to lie on behalf of the religion. Alhamdulillah, islam is complete, islam is perfect, as Allah subhanahu wa taala mentioned, al lakum dinakum wa wa islam That this day I have completed for you your religion and I have perfected my favour upon you and I am pleased for you islam as your religion and way of life. So if this religion, as Allah has mentioned, is perfect and it is complete, then without a doubt, this is a proof that we are not in need of anyone to make up anything in the religion, to make the religion look good. Or to encourage people to do good. Because what we have within the text from the Qur'an and the Sunnah, it is sufficient. No. Imam al-Nawwah, he states, Then you have from amongst the scholars, those who compiled 40 hadith regarding the fundamental principles of the religion And some of the scholars have compiled 40 hadith regarding the branches Meaning in them like the matters of fiqh And what he intends by the fundamentals of the religion Meaning the matters of aqidah, the matters of creed, the matters of tawhid, The matters of the Islamic monotheism and the Islamic belief وَبَعْدَهُمْ فِي And some have compiled 40 hadith regarding the virtues of striving for the sake of Allah. وَبَعْدَهُمْ فِي And some have compiled 40 hadith regarding asceticism. وَبَعْدَهُمْ فِي الْآدَابِ And some have compiled 40 hadith regarding the Islamic mannerisms. وَبَعْدَهُمْ فِي And some have compiled 40 hadith regarding uh, given sermons. رَضِيَ and In all of these compilations, these compilations are, or, or the intent behind it is a righteous intent. These scholars who compiled 40 hadith, their intent was to benefit the ummah with something from the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ about a specific topic or the likes. And may Allah Azza wa Jal be pleased with all of them who intended good. Now, Imam An-Nawahi states, وَقَدْ رَعَيْتُ جَمْعَ أَرْبَعِينَ أَهَمَّ مِنْ هَذَا كُلِّ وَهِيَ أَرْبَعُونَ حَدِيثًا مُجْتَمِلَةً عَلَى جَمِيعِ ذَلِكِ Imam an says, And I saw that it would be befitting... That I compile 40 hadith that's more important than everything that, I has, been meant, that has been mentioned. And it is 40 hadith that com- consists of all of that which has been mentioned. So Imam remember now where he's not just speaking about one topic. Or he's not compiling hadith dealing with one topic. But he's compiling hadith which deals with different aspects of the religion. So for this reason he said it's more important than those compilations of 40 hadith that just deals with one topic. وكل حَدِيثٍ مِنْهَا قَاعِدَةٌ عَظِيمَةٌ مِنْ قواعد الدِّينِ And every narration from these narrations is a magnificent principle from the principles of the religion. Meaning that from the narrations that Al-Imam al has compiled here, there are many benefits that can be extracted. Principles of the religion that can be extracted. And for this reason you find the scholars encouraging that from the first books of Hadith that a person should memorize is the 40 hadith of Imam al Ta'ala. Because the one, a person who memorizes the 40 hadith of Imam al he basically has a proof for almost every aspect of the deen, if not every aspect of the deen in some shape, form, and fashion. Because again, in the 40 hadith, different topics are being addressed. So if you memorize the 42 hadith that are here... In the for the hadith of Ali Maminawi, then you have proofs and evidences from the Sunnah for the aspects of the religion. And then he stated, "What did the scholars say about the status Islam the Islamic prophet? Was he half or part of or Nahu like And you find the scholars. Describing some of these narrations as being That which Islam is based upon or revolves around Or it is half of Islam or is a third of Islam Or the likes of that Now Here, al-imam al is mentioning That which the scholars have stated Showing the importance of these narrations That we are going to come across that some of these narrations, the scholars have said, Islam revolves around this narration. Or this is half of the deen. Or this is a third of the deen, and the likes. And without a doubt, something that is half of the religion, a third of the religion, a fourth of the religion, this is something that is extremely important. Then he stated, Thumma fi an ta-kuna fi wa He says, And then I held to. These narrations or these 40 narrations being authentic. And the majority of these narrations are found in the two sahihs, that of Imam Bukhari and that of Imam Muslim. Nam as for his statement that the narrations will be sahihah, then this is not totally correct, as there are some narrations within the 40 hadith that there are discrepancies regarding them. And some of the ulama of the hadith have declared them to be weak hadith. As for uh, being upon the level of Hassan, or Hassan li then yes. But as for Sahih, and we covered those four levels, or four categories of accepted hadith, in the previous class, you have As-Sahih li the narration that is authentic, based upon its own merit, and that's the highest level of hadith. Then you have As-Sahih li a narration that is Sahih, but based upon other than its merit. And al sahih li itself is al-hasan li Then the next one is al-hasan li a narration that is good based upon its own merit. And then you have al-hasan li a narration that is good based upon other than itself, but that narration itself originally is weak. But because of the supporting evidences and supporting routes, it raises it up to being good. But the weakness is not a severe one. And then you have weak hadith, fabricated hadith and the likes. طيب In any event, Imam Nawa, he states, وَأَذْكُرُهَا مَحْذُوفَةَ الْأَسَانِيدِ He says, and he does not mention the chain of narrators in order to make it easy for the people to memorize it. And no, alhamdulillah, the isnad is from the deen. As the Salaf they will say, Lawla isnaad, laqala Man sha'a ma sha'a. That if it was not for the chain of narrators that we have in the books of Hadith, then whoever wants to say something will say whatever he wants to say. Meaning in a tribute to the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. But because we have chains of narrators in the hadith, in the books of Hadith, the Muslim Ummah is able to determine the authentic narrations from those narrations that are not authentically reported. If a person was to come and try to fabricate a hadith, where's the chain of narrators? So this is one of the ways that the religion is protected. As Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He mentions, wa inna lahu That indeed, we sent down the revelation. Revelation means Qur'an and sunnah, because both are revelation. And indeed, we will preserve it. So just as the Qur'an is preserved, likewise the sunnah of the Prophet Muhammad is preserved. And one of the ways that the sunnah of the Prophet Muhammad is preserved is through the Isnad or the Asaneed, the chains of narrators. The shaykh mentions, so he removed the asaneet in order to make it easy for one to memorize. And he says, وَيُعُمَّ الْإِنْتِفَاعُ بِهَا الله, And in order that the benefit from these narrations will be general and widespread. So here what Imam an does, he mentions the sahabi and then mentions the narration without mentioning the chain of narrators. And as I mentioned earlier the scholars they mentioned that 40 hadith of Imam an Nawi is the first book of hadith people should memorize. Then after the 40 hadith of Al-Imam an Nawi rahimahullah you have Umdatul Ahkam. Umdatul Ahkam. And Umdatul Ahkam is a collection or a compilation of a hadith that's dealing with the matters of fiqh and the religion, the matters of jurisprudence coming from the narrations of Bukhari and Muslim. And then the scholars, they mentioned after that, Buluga uh, Maram by al hafiz ibn Hajr al-Asqalani rahimahullah ta'ala. And then after that, Riyadh al-Saliheen. Riyadh saliheen by Al-Imam al nawawi rahimahullah. You have some individuals. They want to jump straight into memorizing Sahih Bukhari, and they're trying to memorize Sahih Bukhari with with the isnad, the chains of narrators. And by the time these individuals memorize, let's say, the first book and the second book. The book of how the, the book of revelation, how revelation began, and then the book of faith, with the isna with the asanid, a person could have finished forty hadith by then and been moving on to, to So the scholars they instruct us to start off small and then work our way up, so that we don't waste time. No one is saying it's not beneficial to memorize Sahih Bukhari. But there's things that we should memorize before getting to that point. You know, and build ourselves up with the memorization of the Sunnah of the Prophet Muhammad wasallam. So again, that's the 40 hadith of al-Imam al Nawawi, rahimahullah. Then Umlatul Ahkam. In Umlatul Ahkam, it is by al-imam Abdul Ghani ibn Abdul Wahid al-Maqdisi. Then you have Bulug Maram, the third. And that's by al-Hafid ibn Hajar al-Asqalani. And then you have Riyadh al-Saliheen. Uh, Ahkam that I know of has not been translated into English. 40 hadith is translated into English, Arabic and English. Bulugh Maram is translated into Arabic and English. And likewise, Riyadh al-Salihin is translated into Arabic and English. But again, those narrations in Umdat-ul-Ahkam, they are from Bukhari and Muslim. So you can find them easily as Bukhari has been translated into English as well as Muslim. So make it easy for the person to memorize the hadith along with the meaning of the narration. Imam Anawi states, Tum And then I followed it up with a, a chapter regarding the, uh, the regulation of the wordings, meaning like maybe the strange uh, wordings in it. He addresses this matter. And then he goes on to mention. And it is befitting for the one who has a desire for the hereafter to know these narrations. المهمات, due to that which these narrations entail of the very important matters of the religion. وَاحْتَوَتْ عَلَيْهِ مِنَ التَّنْبِيهِ عَلَى جَمِيعِ الطعات. And that which it consists of from alerting the people regarding all of the acts of ibadah. The scholars, they, they mention an important point, And that is, the intent behind learning is practicing. That's the number one goal. When you go to learn the Quran... When you go to learn the sunnah When you're memorizing Qur'an You're memorizing the sunnah The intent is not just memorization The intent is practice Because without practice Then the knowledge is a proof against you As the Prophet wasallam mentioned Quran hujjatun laka And the Qur'an is a proof for you Or you it is a proof against you. When is the Qur'an a proof for the person? When the person knows it and he implements it in his life. The Qur'an is a proof for the person. The Qur'an becomes a proof against the person when the person knows the Qur'an, but he doesn't practice what he knows of the Qur'an. And there are some lines of poetry that states, فَعَالِمٌ بِعِلْمِهِ لَمْ يعملن مُعَذَّبٌ مِنْ قَبْرِ عَابِدِ الْوَثَنِ That the one who has knowledge, who does not implement his knowledge, he is punished before the worshipper of the idols. What is this poetry based upon? (laughs) (coughs) لا أحسن The Prophet ﷺ mentioned That the first three people To be punished on the day of judgment One who fought in battle One who used to teach And we read the Quran And one who used to give charity So that's where that's based Because it's the first to be punished But the shahid or the point That the one who has knowledge And he doesn't implement his knowledge He's subjected to the punishment of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala the scholars, they mention, al-ulama thalatha, that the people of knowledge are of three categories. Alimun billah, wa alimun bi amrillah, wa alimun wa bi They say, the people of knowledge are of three categories. One who is knowledgeable of Allah, that's one category. The second category, one who is knowledgeable of the commandment of Allah. And in the third category, one who is knowledgeable of Allah as well as the commandment of Allah. The explanation is Fa Amal Alam bi y'alamu Sunnah As for the one who is knowledgeable of the commandment of Allah, he is the one who knows the Sunnah but he doesn't fear Allah. He knows the rule, but he doesn't implement it, he doesn't fear Allah. And as for the one who is knowledgeable of Allah, he's the one who fears Allah, but he doesn't know the sunnah. Meaning, he has a little bit of knowledge, and he practices what he knows, he doesn't have a lot of knowledge. He doesn't know the, the intricate details of the rules and regulations like the other one. And as for the one who is knowledgeable of Allah and knowledgeable of the commandment of Allah, then he is the one who knows the Sunnah and he fears Allah. So that is the individual who was called as one who is magnificent throughout the dominion of the heavens. Meaning he's praised by the malaika. He's praised by the angels. <laughs> Imam an he goes on to mention, وَذَلِكَ ظَاهِرٌ لِمَن تَدَبَّرَهُ And that is apparent for the one who contemplates over it another narration that's on a Sufyan authority, he said canner you call al ulama thalatha alimun billahi yakhsha yakshallaha laysa bi aliman bi amrillah wa alimun billahi alimun bi amrillah yakhsha allaha alimul kamen wa alimun bi amrillah laysa bi aliman billahi la yakhsha فَذَلِكَ الْعَالِمْ الْفَاجِرُ Sufyan al-Thawri rahimahullah ta'ala he said that it was said that the scholars are all three types ulama Thalatha. or the people of knowledge are three categories you have the one who is knowledgeable of Allah he fears Allah but he is not knowledgeable about the commandment of Allah He's a good Muslim, but he's just not that knowledgeable. billahi, Allah. Then you have one who is knowledgeable of Allah, knowledgeable of the commandment of Allah, and he fears Allah. al kamil. That is the complete scholar, a person who has knowledge and he's complete, because he practices what he knows. Then you have the one who's knowledgeable of the commandment of Allah, but he's not knowledgeable about Allah, he doesn't fear Allah. What is meant by knowledgeable of Allah, meaning knowledgeable being aware of Allah's greatness. As the salaf of the past, they would say, do not look at the smallness of the sin that you commit, but look at the greatness of the one who you are disobeying. Sometimes people say, well is that a major sin or a minor sin? (laughs) What about the greatness of the one who we are disobeying? Yes, sins are divided into different categories, major sin, minor sins, yes. But Allah is still magnificent and great, the greatest. So you find the early generations of Muslims, they didn't ask the type of question, is that a major sin or a minor sin? They treated everything as serious. Everything was serious, disobeying Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is a serious affair, even if it falls under the category of being a minor sin. So, Sufyan thawri he mentions, فَذَلِكَ alimul الْفَاجِرُ That is the corrupt scholar, meaning the one who has knowledge, but he doesn't practice what he knows, he doesn't fear Allah. He says, He says, And upon Allah I place my dependency, and I put all of my affairs to Allah, and for Allah is the praise and the blessings, and with Him is the success and the protection from falling into error. And we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to make us from amongst those who are knowledgeable of Allah, and knowledgeable of the command of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Ameen. We begin with al-hadith al-awwal, the first hadith. Qala al-imam al rahimahullah an amir al-mu'mineen Abi Hafs Umar al-Khattab radiyallahu an Qala sami'tu Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam yakool إنما الأعمال بالنيات وإنما لكل year, ما نوى فمن كانت in إلى الله ورسوله فهجرته إلى الله ورسوله ومن كانت in لدنيا يصيبها أو the ينكحها فهجرته إلى ما هاجر in رواه إمام المحدثين أبو عبد الله محمد بن إسماعيل ibn Ibrahim ibn Mughayra ibn Bardizba al-Bukhari wa Abu al-Husayn Muslim ibn al-Hajjaj ibn Muslim al-Qushayri al-Naysaburi fi Al Ladain huma as- uh, uh, as-Sihah al-Kutub al-Musannafa The first narration is on the authority of the commander of the believers Abu Hafs, Umar ibn al-Khattab, may Allah be pleased with him. He said, I heard the Messenger of Allah say, Indeed, actions are based upon the intentions. And every person will have that which he intended. Therefore, whoever's migration, was to Allah and His Messenger, then his migration is to Allah and His Messenger. And whoever's migration was to attain a worldly affair or to take a woman's hand in marriage, then his migration is to that which he migrated to. This narration has been narrated by the two imams of the scholars of hadith, Abu Abdullah, Muhammad ibn Ismail ibn Ibrahim, ibn al-Mughira ibn Bardizba, al-imam al-Bukhari, And Abu al-Husayn, Muslim, Ibn al-Hajjaj, Ibn Muslim al-Qushayri and Naysa and their two collections of uh, authentic narrations, which are the two most authentic books that have been authored, meaning after the Qur'an, the most authentic books in the religion, Sahih Bukhari and Sahih Muslim. The two most after the book of Allah, alhamdulillah, the book of Allah is preserved and perfect. After the Qur'an, the most authentic books in Islam, the Sahih of Imam al-Bukhari and the Sahih of Imam Muslim. The commander of the believers, he is Umar ibn al-Khattab. Anh, and he is the second rightly guided Khalifa, and his Khilafa, or Caliphate as they translate into English, was for ten and a half years, and Umar ibn Khattab, he was murdered by the Persian Abu Lu'lu at the end of Dhul-Hijjah in the year 23 Hijri. Umar bin Khattab, an, he has many virtues in Islam, and from his virtues, he is the best of the Muslims after Prophet Muhammad sallallahu and Abu Bakr radiyallahu And he was the close companion to the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa after Abu Bakr radiallahu Many narrations you will see that the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam came in Abu Bakr and Umar. Showing how Abu Bakr and Umar radiallahu anhuma, used to be with the Prophet on a consistent basis, and also their closeness to him was unlike any other from the companions of the Prophet. In Umar ibn al Khattab, he, he aided Islam. When he accepted Islam, this was a source of benefit and aid for the Muslims. As the Prophet wasallam he had made dua. He had made dua that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala guide Umar ibn al-Khattab. And Umar ibn al-Khattab, he was guided by way of the dua. Of the Prophet sallallahu And when Umar ibn Khattab accepted Islam, it is mentioned in the narrations, the Muslims began to pray near the Kaaba. But prior to that, they couldn't. But when Umar al Khattab accepted Islam, it gave some strength to the Muslims. It gave some honor and some might to the Muslims. So they were able to pray right there, Near the Kaaba. We have a narration on the authority of Abi Musa al Ashari Radiallahuan. Where the Prophet said, If Tehlahu wa Bashiruhu bil Jannah. He said, For fatahtu Lahu, for either who Umar. The Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said, Open the door. For him and inform him or give him the glad tidings that he will be in paradise. So Abu Musa al Ashari he said, "I opened the door for him and it was Umar." So here the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam and that narration is agreed upon. The Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam has established that Umar al Khattab is from the people of paradise, and the narration is authentic. So this shows the evil. Of those who speak bad about Umar bin Khattab and say that Umar bin Khattab he was an apostate and Umar bin Khattab he was an evil man and no no we don't accept that because the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam by way of revelation he spoke well of Umar bin Khattab and he mentioned that Umar bin Khattab is in Jannah. Also we have a narration. The Prophet stated, Law kana ba'di nabi, lakana Umar." If there was to be a prophet after me, then it would have been Umar. What does he mean by this? This narration is an indication of the virtues of the knowledge of Umar, and if there was going to be a prophet after Prophet Muhammad it would have been Umar as there were many occasions the prophet sallallahu wasallam he would be advised by umar ibn khattab to do something and then allah would send down revelation agreeing with that advice that umar gave or the suggestion that umar made so umar ibn khattab he was known as muhaddath not muhaddith Muhaddath or a fatha. Muhaddith is a scholar of hadith. One who is Muhaddith. But Muhaddith, meaning he's one who is inspired. And some of the ulama, say that uh, a Muhaddith is a person he's inspired, like by the malaika. They would encourage him with, with good, and then he would speak with that good. But Umar al-Khattab, he had this description of being Muhaddith someone who he spoke with good and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would reveal revelation like the matter of the hijab for the wives of the prophet the matter of the war captives what to do with them like the issue of uh, praying towards the kaaba and other than that Umar ibn Khattab would give suggestions he would give advice to the prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and you will find that Allah will reveal revelation Umar al-Khattab radiyallahu an He was one who loved The Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa dearly And the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa loved and respected him and that scene from the narration where the Prophet, in his dream, he entered into the paradise. And he's seen a woman on the side of a palace, like washing. And he had asked, Who was this palace for? And it was mentioned that it was for Ummah al Khattab. And remember, the dreams of the Prophets are revelation. So not only did the Prophet say that Umar ibn al-Khattab is in paradise, but in his dream he's seen the palace of Umar ibn khattab Is it, uh, can one fathom that Umar has a palace in paradise, but yet he's going to be in a hellfire? Does that make any sense? You know, I mean, these narrations that mention the virtues of Umar al-Khattab are clearly a refutation against those who speak bad about Umar ibn khattab So he seen the palace, and he asked, whose palace is this? And they said, this is the palace of Umar bin al-Khattab. And he said he wanted to enter into it, but he remembered the jealousy of Umar. So he didn't go inside. And when he mentioned this narration, Umar said, you jealous of me, O Messenger of Allah? Or you remember my jealousy? Like I wouldn't be jealous of you, the opposite rather. Like, I wouldn't be jealous of you, O Messenger of Allah. But the Prophet Wasallam respected Umar ibn Khattab. And he, uh, as a result of his respect for Umar ibn Khattab and his love, of, he didn't go into the palace to see what was inside. And one can refer back to the books of hadith, like in Sahih Bukhari, You have the book of the virtues of the Sahaba, and then there's a chapter in there the virtues of Umar, the virtues of Abu Bakr, and the likes. And you also Sahih Muslim, and other than those two collections of hadith. Now, this narration on Umar ibn al Khattab has also come on the authority of Abu Sa'id al Khudri. (laughs) <laughs> however, it is not established except by the route of Umar ibn Khattab. So this narration is only established on Umar ibn Khattab. And there is a wording, <laughs> Indeed, the action is by the intention. And then you have another wording, Ya ayyuha nas, إِنَّمَا الْأَعْمَالَ wa وَإِنَّمَا الْأَمْرِئِنَ مَا نَوَى O people, indeed actions are based upon the intention, and for every individual is that which he has intended. This hadith deals with the principle of one's intentions, which is that which is inward. As the intention is in the heart. This is the place of the intentions. And for this, the scholars, they mention that it is from the affairs of innovation in the religion that a person verbally mentioned his intention before performing an act of worship. As an example, a person, he stands up to pray, and he will raise his hands. He says, "Oh Allah, I'm going to pray for raka'ah for salat al-dhuhr." The ulama have mentioned that this is from the affairs of bid'ah. Why? Number one, the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam never did this. You will never find a narration where the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, before praying, he will raise his hands and say, "Oh Allah, I intend to make salat al-dhuhr salat al-asr." or al-maghrib Isha or Fajr. Nor will you find this act being done by the Sahaba. Second matter, the actions are based upon the intentions. The intentions are present in the heart. And Allah, He knows what's in your heart. So one does not have to verbally mention uh, his intention. As we have the hadith, where the Prophet ﷺ he mentioned, "Inna Allaha la yanzuru ila surikum, wa la ila amwalikum, ولكن ينظر إلى قلوبكم وأعمالكم." Or, okay, كما قال صلى الله عليه وسلم, that indeed Allah He does not look at your outer images, and He does not look at your wealth, your money, but He looks at your hearts, and He looks at your actions. Why does Allah look at the hearts? The intentions are there. And why does Allah look at the actions? In order to establish that the act is done in accordance to the teachings of the Prophet Muhammad So here in that hadith, you have the two uh, pillars that are needed in order for one's actions to be accepted. That it has to be done sincerely for Allah. Allah, He looks at the hearts. And it has to be done in accordance to that which the Prophet intended. The principle that is based upon this hadith, Al-umur bi maqasidiha. Al-umur bi maqasidiha. And this principle is one of the five major fiqh principles. You have uh, Al-qawad. Al-fiqhiyya al Fiqhiya kh- al-khamsa al-kubra Al-kawa'id al-fiqhiyya al-khamsa al-kubra Al-kubra Al-kawa'id al, al-, 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 al- Fiqhiya The fiqh principles Al-khamsa al-kubra The five major fiqh principles Number one Al-umur bi-maqassidiha That matters are based upon the intentions Or the, the goals Or what's the aim behind the affair uh, number two, al-mashakka tajlibu taysir, that difficulty brings about ease. Number three, yuzal, that harm is to be removed. Number four, al-yaqeen la yazul that certainty is not removed by doubt. And number five, al-ada muhakkama, that customary affairs are used as judgment in some matters in the deen. So these are Al-Qawa'id, Al-Fiqiyya, Al-Khamsa, Al-Kubra. i repeat them. Number one, Al-Umur, Bi-Maqasidiha. That matters are based upon the, the intentions, the aims. What's the goal behind them? That's what the matters are based upon. Number two, Al-Mashakka, Tajlibu taysir, That difficulty brings about ease. As an example, the Prophet said, قَائِدًا فَإِنْ لَمْ فَقَائِدًا Pray standing. If you don't have the ability to pray standing, then what? Pray sitting. So that's, that's how the legislation is. That when one cannot carry out a matter that Allah has legislated, then there's going to come another legislation to bring ease upon the individual. Either exonerating the person from or freeing the person from carrying out the obligation or lightening the burden. Now. Nah. Uh ad yuzal. That's number 3. Harm is to be removed as the Prophet sallallahi was sallam mentioned la darar wa la dirar. There is to be no harm nor reciprocating harm. Like the Prophet sallallahi was sallam he mentioned uh al-iman bid'un wa sittuna shu'bah, fa'alaaha qawla ilaha illallah wa adnaha imaatu al tariq wal شُعْبَةٌ مِنَ min the prophet said iman is 60 something branches the highest branch of iman is the statement la ilaha illallah the lowest branch of faith is removing something harmful from the road that's the principle harm is to be removed and shyness is a branch of faith so you have al umur bi maqasidiha al Mashakka, tajlibu taysir ad al yuzal al yazul bi Certainty is not removed by doubt. Doesn't go back to the hadith where the man came to the Prophet Sallallahu Wasallam and mentioned that when he is in his salah, that the, he, he's imagining that there's something in his stomach that maybe maybe he passed gas. So the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam told him Sarif Hatta Tasma صَلَى Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Do not leave your prayer until you hear a sound. Or you smell an odor So don't base That you pass gas off of Did I pass gas or not You're imagining Or you may felt some rumbling in your stomach But you're not sure if you pass gas or not The Prophet told the man Don't leave the Salat Until he hears himself passing gas Or he smells the odor Or the, the scent of passing gas Which shows that you're certain that you didn't pass gas, but you're not sure if you did. That certainty is not going to be removed by the doubt. So that's a principle in the religion. And number five, uh, that the customary affairs are used as a, uh, a proof or judgment. Like the woman who her husband died, during the time of the Prophet, salallahu sallam, without designating for her a dowry, he knew he had to give her one, but they didn't agree upon what he was going to give her. When he died, the Prophet salallahu sallam, said she's to be given a dowry similar to the woman of her people. So they went back to the customs. So at times, customs are used as judgment. Or like a woman, uh, the scholars give the example. A female, from the start, she has uh, irregular bleeding. And the irregular bleeding is so heavy that she cannot tell the difference between her menstruation blood and the irregular bleeding. So now how is it determined? When is her menses? She goes back to what's the norm regarding the woman of her family, her mother, her aunts. Whenever they know... Because the women of a, of a tribe or people, they normally of a family, normally have their menses around the same time. So she will, be, she will go back to that. And whatever is like the average, then that will be used to determine when she's on her menses. So these are the five major thick principles. Now, Allah Azza wa Jal, He mentions, وَمَا أُمِرُوا إِلَّا لِيَعْبُدُوا اللَّهَ مُخْلِصِينَ لَهُ الدِّينَ حُنَفًا الصَّلَاةَ الزكاة وَذَٰلِكَ دِينُ And they were not commanded except to worship Allah alone sincerely. And the ikhlas, the mukhlisim that they have, sincerity. And they make the religion for Allah as monotheist. They don't worship anyone or anything other than Allah. And that they establish the prayer and that they pay the zakat. And that is the upright religion. Also the statement of Allah, "Fa'abu اللَّهِ مُخْلِصًا Worship Allah sincerely, making the religion for Him. Also the statement of Allah, الى Din الدِّينِ Al-Khalis indeed for Allah is the entire practice of the religion. So worship is the sole right of Allah alone. And it is not befitting to direct any act of worship to other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We have the narration on the authority of Abdullah bin Abbas, radiallahu anhuma, annahu call, qala Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam, la hijrata bad al fetch wa jihadun wa The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam said, There is no migration after the conquest of Mecca, however, there is striving in good intentions. What is meant by there is no migration after the conquest of Mecca? Nobody else can't come with a different angle like they don't. No. Yes. Nobody came with from Mecca when it was very much apart to Medina. No. There's no Hijrah after the conquest of Mecca. Meaning, as the brother mentioned, Barakallahu Fee. There was no longer the command of leaving Mecca to go to Medina. Why? Because Mecca became Dar al-Islam. And this is an indication that Mecca will remain al Islam throughout the times. And this is a refutation against those who say that Mecca is the land of the Kufar. <laughs> the Prophet said, There is no migration after the conquest of Mecca. So Mecca as some of these extremists they say is the abode of the disbelievers. And that means you have to leave. And then that means the Prophet sallam Ayy, and we know that the Prophet ﷺ, he is a sadiq Al-Masduq, the one who is truthful, whose truthfulness is confirmed. لا. Another narration we have regarding the importance of sincerity The Prophet ﷺ, he stated, مَن سَأَلَ اللَّهَ الْشَهَادَةَ بِالْصِدْقِ بَلَّغَهُ اللَّهُ وإن مات على فراشه. That whoever truthfully and sincerely ask Allah for martyrdom, then Allah will allow him to reach the level of the martyrs even if he died upon his bed. So here the intention. When the intent is there And he's truthful He means it Allah will give him the reward Even if he doesn't Die In that state And he died upon his bed Allah Another narration we have the Prophet ﷺ mentioned, "In the Madunya the that the life of this world is for four categories of people. Abdin Allahu The first category, a servant who Allah has given him wealth. And Allah has given him knowledge. He fears his Lord regarding that wealth and that knowledge. He keeps the ties of kinship and he knows the right of Allah regarding it over him. This individual is one who has the best of the status amongst the people. لَعَمِلْتُ فِيهِ فَهُوَ بِنِيَّتِهِ فَأَجْرُهُمَا سَوَاءً And then you have a servant that Allah has given him knowledge but Allah didn't give him money, He didn't give him wealth. But he is truthful in his intentions. And he says that if I had wealth, then I would do the same thing that so-and-so did, meaning from the one who has knowledge and wealth, meaning he would do good with the wealth. So he will be held to account according to his intentions, and both of them are the same in reward. So here it is: the one who doesn't have wealth, his intent is that if he had wealth, he would spend it in a good way, like the other individual. Allah gives him a similar reward for what having good intentions, having good. He meant he meant it. Yes, he's sincere. Then. The next narration, or the, the next individual, the third, وعبد رزقه الله مالا ولم يرزقه علما, فهو يخبط في ماله بغير علما. لا يتقي فيه ربه ولا يصل فيه ولا يعلم لله فيه حقا. Bi بأخبث المنازل. And then you have a servant. Allah has given him wealth, but Allah did not give him knowledge. So he squanders the wealth. He spends the wealth in a manner that's bad. He doesn't, he doesn't have knowledge of how the property spends the wealth. He doesn't fear Allah regarding the wealth. He doesn't fear his law. He doesn't keep the ties of kinship. And he does not know the rights of Allah upon him like paying zakat and other than that. He doesn't practice goodness with his wealth. This individual has the worst of status amongst the people. وَعَبْدٍ wala ilman. فَهُوَ يَقُولُ لَوْ أَنَّ لِي لَعَمِلْتُ فِيهِ فُلَانًا فَهُوَ بِنِيَتِهِ فَوِزْرُهُمَا سَوَاءً Then you have a servant that Allah did not give him any wealth, nor did he give him any knowledge. So he says that if I had the wealth that so-and-so has, I would do the same thing he did. Meaning if he had money like the individual who has money but no knowledge, that he'll spend the money in a bad manner, just like the other individuals spent the money. The Prophet says, For who will be niyatihi? He will be held account for his intentions. For wizruhuma sawa. And they are both equal in sin. What do we learn from this hadith? Good intentions can cause you to have a good reward. And bad intentions, even though you didn't do anything, but you intend to do evil, can get you a sin. Allahu We will stop at this point. Whatever is correct, the praise is for Allah Azza Wa Jal alone. Whatever is incorrect, it is for myself.